Okay, Rabbi Say, a good Arab Shabbos. Um, this week's parsha is Parshas Behar Kaisai, a double parsha. This week we're going to focus on the second of the two parshas, and that is Parshas Bechukaisai. Parshas Bechukaisai, of course, is famous for the Teichacha, the terrible punishments that will be unleashed against Klal Yisrael were they to violate certain Averis. And the Torah at the be- the parsha at the beginning contrasts the person who does the proper thing in the eyes of Akedas Baruch Hu versus the person who does not. And the person who does not is going to have all of those Teichachas Rachman and cast against him. What is the person who does the proper thing in the eyes of Akedas Baruch Hu? That would be somebody that in Teilechu. He is following in my ways. And Rashi very famously says that what does that mean that a, that a person is following in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's path? That is that we have a melos We're learning Torah, not just stam learning it, but learning it with a toil, learning it with uh, a lot of effort, exerting maximum amount of concentration when we're learning, not distracted, not unfocused, not doing things superficially, but really putting our all into the Liman Hatayra, that is what we will uh, be doing if we were to be getting all of the brachas that HaKadosh Baruch Hu continues to promise us. On the other hand, in Parak Chavav, Pasuk Tesvav, the Torah continues, But if you are going to despise my chukim, and if my laws will make your soul revolted, so that you will not do my commandments, and you will annul all of my covenants, so then I will do likewise to you, and I will... Uh, give you the terrible, terrible teichacha that we would never, ever want. Now Rashi says something very interesting, that if you examine the psukim, there's actually ten different levels of wrongdoing that the Torah describes this person as having committed. And Rashi goes through them, what they all are referring to. What are these seven steps, these seven sins that will cause the Teichacha? So he says that one causes the next, meaning this is a, a ripple effect, like a domino effect. You do one Avera, that will lead to doing the next Avera, and then the next Avera, until finally you will attain the worst Avera, which is being a kaifer b'ikr. But what are the steps of, the seven steps that will lead to there and that will ultimately cause the teichacha? These are them. First of all, loylama. The first aver that a person does if he's not following in the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning he's the opposite of that that person was having amelos bater, he was toiling in the Torah. This person is doing nothing. He's not learning. He's just simply wasting his days and his nights with Bittel Taira, Bittel Zman, and he's not learning. That's the first and foremost Avera that the person does. But it doesn't stop there. If that would be all, that would in itself be a terrible thing, but 
it continues and there's going to be a direct correlation to the next Avera, and that's Layasa. If you don't learn the Taira, then it's inevitable that you're not going to keep the Taira. If a person learns Taira, then he knows what the Taira is all about. He's very familiar with all of the halachas that he's supposed to know, and then and even the halachas that he doesn't have to practically know now, but he, he's a Tamachacham, he's aware of everything. Such a person is going to keep the mitzvahs because it's inevitable. It's like what the, what the Mishnaburah brings down at the beginning of the third phalic of Mishnaburah and Hilcha Shabbos. He brings down from the Yaris Tavash that a person who doesn't learn Hilcha Shabbos is definitely going to be Mechal Shabbos, he says. Why? Because how can you not be Mechal Shabbos if you don't know Hilcha Shabbos? Every time I, uh, I do anything on Shabbos, whether it's setting my Shabbos table, clearing my table, uh, taking a walk, touching things around the house, moving things, uh, uh, any, anything and everything that I do will Chalila be a potential Chil Shabbos because I have no idea what I'm doing. So the way to avoid Chil Shabbos, says the Aristavash, is by learning and chazering Hilcha Shabbos. So if a person doesn't learn, he's not going to keep Hilcha Shabbos, he's not going to keep any halachas, because he doesn't know anything. The next step will be, Not only are you not going to learn, not only are you not going to do, but you're going to see your friends doing mitzvahs, and what are you going to do? You're going to be very disgusted by that. You're going to probably go and make fun of those people that are doing the Ratzon Hashem because they're an easy target. They're doing things, they're acting very pious, very religious, things that you're not doing. And so you're going to take that next step and actually despise people that are tzaddikim, people that are good, b'nai taira, people that are doing the right thing. You're going to constantly belittle them and demean them. That's a third Avera that will be... In the, in the chain of dominoes that are falling one by one for this person. The next step, says Rashi, and this is what I really want to focus on today, you're not only going to be despised by pe- despise people that, um, that are doing mitzvahs, doing taira, but you're also going to what? You're also going to be um, nursing a hatred towards Chachamim, which means that you're going to start despising not only regular rank-and-file people, which is terrible in and of itself, but it's not nearly as heinous a crime as having a sinner, as having a pure venomous hatred for Tamidei Chachamim, for, for Tzadikim, for Gedailim. And Rashi continues, then you're going to stop other people from doing mitzvahs. You're going to eventually be kaifer of mitzvahs. You're going to deny that there is any purpose in mitzvahs. And then, like we said, you're going to ultimately, Rachman al-Tzlan, deny the very existence of the Rabbi Nishlam. So this is the continuum, the seven highly destructive phases that a person who doesn't learn, who doesn't have Amelos Patera, who doesn't have Yigiyas Patera, who has no interest in cracking open a Sefer, this will inevitably happen, and then the punishment will be forthcoming, says the Taira, and that is the Teichacha that we're going to read in Mitzah Hashem uh, tomorrow. Like I said, I want to focus and shine a spotlight on that stage of Sainez HaChachamim, the hatred of Chachamim, 
And Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, the famous mashkiach of the Mir Yeshiva, asks a very, very basic question. Why do people, why would a person hate Chachamim? Our rabbis or our Chachamim, are they bad people? Are they evil? Are they people that bother anybody in any which way? Rabbis are nice people, right? You go to uh, the local Chabad, and they're always so friendly there, and they're always giving you a smile, and they're, they're warm, and they're giving you a, a, a nice kiddush on Shabbos, and they're giving you aliyahs, and giving you kavod, and, and offering to learn with you. And, and, and the same is true with every yeshiva in the world, and every shul in the world. These are, what's wrong with a rabbi? How could a person develop a sinna to a Talmud Chacham? How is that shayach? It doesn't make sense. It's not rational at all. And this is the question that Rucham says, and he gives a very basic answer. He doesn't really explain the, the rationale behind it or the deep underlying psychological analysis behind a person who has a sinna towards Chachamim, but he does very much explain uh, on a very basic level. But before he does explain why this happens on a very basic level, he brings the Gemara that we're all familiar with. The Gemara is in Psachem and Bez. Just to highlight the extent of the sinna that it's possible to have towards the Talmud Chacham. And who is the Gemara quoting even to illustrate this? None other than perhaps the greatest Tana that Kla Yisrael ever had, arguably, and that is Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, we know, was the ultimate Balchuva. The first 40 years of his life, he was not at all um, learning. Tysus brings that he was a very fine person. We have Gemaras that seem to say that he, was, uh, he, he, was, he had wonderful Midas. He wasn't Chas a terrible person, quite the opposite. But the first 40 years, he simply was not into learning. And not only was he not into learning, but he was a self-described Amaretz. Now, Amaretz doesn't merely mean a simpleton or somebody that is unlearned, but in the context, at least of this Gemara in in Psachim, an Amaretz means somebody that not only doesn't learn, but also festers a hatred against people that do learn. And the Gemara says that Rabbi Akiva said about himself that when I was an Amaretz, meaning the first stage of his life, when those 40 years, when he wasn't learning, he says, I used to say, this is Rabbi Akiva quoting himself, he used to say, Halavai that I should like bump into a Talmud Chacham, I should be given over the opportunity to have my way with a Talmud Chacham. I should meet a Talmud Chacham in a dark alleyway, and if I would have that opportunity, I would bite into the Talmud Chacham like a donkey. Like a donkey bites into a person, that's how, that's how much hatred and venom I had inside of me towards Hamidah Chachamim. So the Talmidim, he was saying this to his Talmidim, Rabbi Akiva, he was already a big Rosh Hashiva with a long white beard and a frack and a kapotan. He was telling this to his Talmidim, the Talmidim, Rabbi, Rabbi, take it easy. You don't have to say, V'anashchena kechamar. Tone it down a little bit. Say, V'anashchena kekelev. 
you know, maybe like a little, a little, a little dog, a little puppy. You know, when the postman comes, he gets a little nibble on his, on his, on his leg. Maybe just say that. Why do you have to say kachamar? And Rabbi Kiva says, no, no, don't stop me. He says, I know exactly what I'm saying. I didn't. I could have said kakelev, but I chose very carefully my words because that's what I mean. That's what I meant. When I was an Amaretz, I really felt that I wanted to bite into a Talmud not like a dog, not giving him a nibble on his, on, his, on his toe. I wanted to give him a bite which would pulverize his bones. That's the difference, the Gemara says, between the bite of a Hamar, the bite of a donkey, versus the bite of a dog. A dog bites into the leg, maybe, causes your flesh to bleed. A, 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 a Hamar goes and gives such a gizunta bite, that your mom, it's like a bone-crushing uh, experience. That's how, that's how powerful is the bite of a chamar. And Rabbi Akiva says, this is what I felt I wanted to do to it. I had such a sin, I had such a hatred towards Hamidacham, I wanted to give them that bite. Now, Baruch Hashem, I'm myself. But I'm just giving you some ideas if you want to get into the, into the mind of what an Amaretz thinks about a Tamachacham when he sees one. This is the hatred that they harbor. Frechter of Yerucham, what do you mean that's the hatred that they har- harbor? What did, what did the Talmud Chacham do to him? Why is Rabbi Akiva having such an issue with the Talmud Chacham? Rachman Litzlan, is, is, is the Talmud Chacham acting in an inappropriate manner? Is he doing something personally to affect him, to, uh, to, to affront him, to cause him pain, to cause him suffering, to cause him financial loss? The Talmud Chacham sitting in the Dalad HaMashel Halacha, sitting with Abaye Baraba, he's doing everything right. What do you want with a rabbi? What's your, what's your beef with a rabbi? Says Rabbi Rucham, we don't understand this, necessarily, but this is Rashi. The Rashi in the parasha, quoting the Chazal, that there's seven stages, that there's seven stages of being a, uh, somebody that doesn't learn, what happens to an Amaretz who doesn't learn? First he doesn't learn, then he doesn't do, then he's mayis b'achir ma'isim, he gets disgusted when he sees other Jews doing mitzvahs and learning Torah, and then the next step is sainayis ha'chacham, he's going to hate chachamim. Is it rational? It doesn't have to be rational. We don't need any rationale. But this is what Chazal tell us is on the menu. The first course is this, the next course is that, the third course is that, and finally the fourth course is a sinner for Tamilcham. Whether it's rational or not, says Rabbi Rucham, that's the way it goes. If a person doesn't learn, he will end up inexplicably hating Tamid I wanted to perhaps just be myself a small Nakuda, and I think it's not such a big stretch. I think we could all say the same exact Vard if we'd stop and think about it for a second. And the following Vard is, I think, the underlying psych psychology and rationale in order to explain and understand why it is that a Talmud Chacham is such a target for the hatred of an Amaretz. We have to start a little bit with the Mesul Sisharim. The Mesul Sisharim at the beginning of his classic Sefer of Meshach Chaim Lutzatai says a very, very important yisait that a person is really put in this world in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
in order to learn Torah, in order to do mitzvahs, in order to stay away from Averis. And by doing all the right things and by avoiding all the wrong things, we're building up points. And when we are brought to the Olama Emes after 120 years, if we have enough points and we racked up enough tickets, we will get the Idun HaMiti, the greatest pleasure in Olam Haba. And if we don't, Achman then we won't. And the Ramchal says that we have a nefesh, we have a very powerful soul inside of all of us, and that soul has a struggle, has a constant daily struggle in a tug of war with a guf. Because the guf, as we know, our bodies are physical beings, and they want what they want. They want what they want. Our body always wants to eat. We always want to do things that we're not supposed to do. We want to have ultimate pleasure. We want to watch things that we want to watch, even if it's not appropriate. We want to go places that we want to go, even though it's not appropriate. We want to we engage in different activities and different, uh, in different, different things that are immoral, because that's what the guf wants. The guf being made of chaymer, it's made of earth, wants to live a very earthly existence. Now this is the polar opposite of the neshama that's locked inside of our bodies. The neshama wants everything but that. The neshama only gets pleasure from ruchniistic activities. When we sit and learn, we know that special feeling that we have that we're doing the right thing, that there's something shining inside of our neshama, and we're giving the neshama exactly what it wants. And when we're doing mitzvahs, we have the same, when we're keeping Shabbos, when we're keeping yantif, when we're, when we're dancing, when we're singing, when we're at a chasna, when we're, when we're performing mitzvahs, even when we're eating, but we're eating with the right kavanas, with the right intentions to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's also a, a, a spiritual pleasure that the neshama has. The guf does not want ruchnius, but the neshama does not want gashmius, and this is so. It's a very bad shidduch in a sense between the between the nefesh and the guf, but that's the that's the shidduch that we have inside of us. When we give our bodies things that it doesn't want, the medrash says that's quoted by the Ramchal, it's like a mashal of an ironi shenasa basmelech. A farmer, a simple peasant, marries a, a princess. You talk about a bad shidduch, that's a bad shidduch. Normally a prince should marry a princess, and a, and a farmer should marry a simple girl. But for some reason, a simple farmer ended up marrying a princess. And the, and the Medrash says, Even if he gives whatever he considers a chash of a gift, what's he giving to her already? He's giving a pumpkin that he raised on his farm, uh, maybe a bag of a bag of green peppers, some some nice tomatoes that he grew, a potato. What's he giving to this princess? Whatever you give her, she's not impressed because she knows the good stuff. She comes from Buckingham Palace. She knows what the crown jewels look like. She knows what Tiffany's is. She knows what Harry Winston is. She knows what what Spitz Gashmius is. She's not impressed by the stuff that this poor farmer is giving her. Says the Medrash, Vigamha Nefesh Le Simoli. The Nefesh is never satisfied 
by whatever the goof is going after. You want a cruise, you think you're going to be getting satisfaction by going on a cruise for a week, you're going to, you're, you might think it's geschmack, but once you're doing it, your nefesh is going to be like sending, sending SOS signals, like get me off this boat, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this, get me back to the base medrash. Even when we're doing Averis that we think we wanted to do, we're watching a movie that we shouldn't be watching, we know deep down inside we're not really enjoying it because there's something inside of us which is called the nefesh that's saying, this is disgusting to me. I don't want this. Your goof wants it, but not me. And the nefesh never gets any satisfaction. And we find that, you know, that that's exactly what happens with, uh, you know, like, Famous rock star celebrities, they, you know, they have all the, all the Tanuge Ailam and they sing songs that we don't get no satisfaction. That's, those are big hits that they have. And I gave this year on Wednesday night to a person who has a, a studio, a very big music stu- studio in Manhattan. I think he, he's out of that business, but he used to have all the big rock stars come to him and he knew them personally. So when I said this, he interrupted me and he said that you're, you don't know how right you are. He says, most of these rock stars, they, some of them live decent lives, but most of them were miserable and depressed and suicidal, and they never got satisfied. You know why they didn't get satisfied? Because they were doing things for the goof, but their neshama inside was repelled and, and, and repulsed by all that they were trying to do. The goof is not something that the neshama wants anything to do with. Everything that we're feeding the goof is not something that the neshama is at all impressed by, quite the opposite. So we have a neshama inside of us. And our neshama is, knows what the right thing is to do at all times. It always knows the right thing to do. And when we're doing the right thing, it's sending standing ovations to us. It makes us feel like a million bucks. But when we stop doing the right thing, or when, and, and, we're, and we're not doing what we should be doing, the neshama is like very, very much angry with us and disappointed with us and makes us depressed and, and gives us no peace. And what I wanted to say was that the reason, the psychology behind why it is that we find that an Amaretz has this terrible hatred for a Talmud Chacham, like Rashi says, I don't think it's just a chayk, that this is the way it is. I think there's a deep-seated understanding behind it, and that is that the neshama of the Amaretz knows that the neshama needs that Tyra. It wants Tyra, it wants Kedusha, it wants Tyra, it wants Mitzvahs, but it's not giving, you're not feeding it that. And then it sees the rabbi, it sees the, the Tamar Chacham, it sees the Kailal guy, it sees the, the, the Ben Tyra, who is doing that. He is learning and his neshama feels good about itself, and he's happy, he's singing, he's full of joy, he's living a life that's Kedusha. And so when the Amaretz sees that, the Amaretz in, instinctively, intuitively understands that that guy has something that I don't have. And the neshama is telling him, look at him, look at him, he's, he's got it right. And I don't want to hear the neshama tell me that. I don't want to see that that guy has it right and I have it wrong because it makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel that I'm not doing what I should be doing and it makes it takes me off course of the gashmistic path that I thought was going to make me happy. And so when I see a Tamil Chacham, it's sort of seeing somebody who is is taking away 
or ha- who, who has something that I don't have, and that I know that I should want it, but I don't have the I don't have the the strength to to go after it. But I resent him because I know deep down inside that he is projecting something that I need and that I want. And if I can get it, great. If I meaning the the Balchuva that that embraces that that way of life, he loves Talmidacham because that Talmidacham is giving him what he needs. But if you're not able to do that, to take that courageous step and accept upon yourself the Derech Atayr, which you know deep down inside will give you satisfaction, then you have resentment because you can't you can't look at that Talmud Chacham and see him admiringly because then the next step is you're, you're going to have to actually take that leap and, and follow him. You don't want to do that. But you do want to do that. So that frustration and that tension, that friction inside is what's creating that animus towards the Talmud Chacham. And I think that's what it means in the Torah when it speaks about, it alludes to this in the parsha when it says, your nefesh will be repulsed. There, the, tigal is like a Russian magil, like in modern Hebrew, say, ach ze magil. Magil means it's disgusting. It's disgusting. The nefesh finds something disgusting about Torah, about mitzvahs, about, meaning it looks at the Talmud Chacham as being something that is, he's mayas Torah because, because, it knows that it wants it, and it makes you feel that you're not doing what you should be doing, and therefore it has that 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 feel of being mios. But it's not it's not that the tamachacham is mios. It's you that that the nefesh is really finding disgusting. But you're projecting that feeling on the tamachacham because he's causing you to feel that way. This is something that is very important for us, um, B'nai Taira, to really work on. We have to work on ourselves that we should have, we should be learning, of course, we should be doing, we should love people that learn, and we should love Chachamim. We should look at Tamid Chachamim as, as really people that have all the answers for our, for our neshama, for our nefesh. They're the ones that are teaching us Torah, they're giving us Musr, they're giving us, teaching us Halacha, they're giving us a Derech Halima, they're giving us a Derech Achayim. And we have to always have an, a tremendous Avas HaTairah. Avas HaTairah doesn't mean to love the Torah itself, it means to love the Torah and those that represent and embody the Torah. And not only should we love them, but we should make sure that our families love Tamid HaChamim, our children someday in Hashem, our, our spouses, our community, we have to do everything in, in our power to make sure that there's Avas HaTayra and Avas Chachamim. Because by doing so, that enables the Messiah to continue. If we don't have a real Avas HaTayra and Avas HaChachma, and our children don't see how Chashav it is to be a Talmud Chacham and to learn Tyra, to have that, that desire to to steig and to become great themselves in learning because they have such role models, then the whole Messiah is going to dissipate. And it's going to go away because there's no shalshala sakadusha. My, if my kids are only, you know, looking up to sports players and to celebrities, then why would they want to be a Talmud Chacham? But by 
fostering a, an attitude in our homes of Tamid Chacham, of G'dayli Yisrael, of Rabbanim, speaking highly about them, putting pictures of them on, their, on our walls, and in our sukkah, and, 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 and in our hearts, that's the ultimate way to be mamshech, the tremendous Messiah of Tyra that existed from Harsinai, as we're coming to Shavuos, and it continued in every subsequent generation until today. And when a person does not have that, when a person has an attitude that, listen, I like learning, or maybe I don't like learning, but I hate the rabbis, that is the ultimate sign that the person is an Amaretz. He might, he might even sit and learn, but, that, but he's Be'etzim and Amaretz, like Rabbi Akiva said that the definition of Amaretz is that you, wanna, you have a hatred, if you nurse a hatred for Tamar Chacham, that means that you are an Amaretz. And G'day Yisrael or Rabbanim were always the worst thing that they could ever fathom being was an Amaretz. Call them any name in the book, but never call them an Amaretz if you wanna, if you ever want to get back on their good side. An Amaretz is like the worst pejorative for a Talmud Chacham or for a Ben Taira. It's like something, but not just a Talmud Chacham that you don't know a Rashba or you don't know a Ritva, you don't know a Kivager. An Amaretz means somebody that doesn't have a love for Taira and the opposite. They have a hatred for Taira. And we have to make sure to give that over to our families. I remember I was sitting in a shul once, um, I guess it was about a year or two ago, and the rabbi was getting up to speak, and this guy was sitting in the row, and I was on the second row, he was in the row in front of me, and as soon as the rabbi gets up to speak, and everybody was sitting down from, you know, putting the safer tire away, um, so he says to me, I don't know why he chose me, but he says, like, very audibly, very loud, he says, nap time, meaning the rabbi's about to give his sermon, it's time to take a nap, and the rabbi happened to have heard him say that, and the rabbi gives him like the dirtiest look ever, like I thought I gave dirty looks, and he gave really dirty looks, that's an amaretz, this guy might learn daf yaimi or whatever, but an amaretz by definition means that you, that you are, um, that you are a person who has an absolute um, disinterest in gaining and to appreciating what a Talmud Chacham is. You want to not be an Amaretz? You come home and you tell your family, the rabbi spoke amazing, the rabbi, we had, we're so fortunate to have such a Merida Asra, he gives such great drushes, and you repeat it over by the table, and you tell stories of G'daylam by your table, and that's what the opposite of an Amaretz is. You could call yourself a Talmud Chacham if you even have that attitude. But if you have the opposite attitude, it's the craziest, foolish, most foolish thing. And it shows Kimea Adam that this person is a real Amaretz. He didn't learn, he didn't do, he, didn't, he doesn't like other people doing, and he has a sinner for Chacham. There is no worse a person in the world as far as, the, as far as a Bentaira is concerned. That's a person that we have to stay far away from because they are very, very, sometimes they have influence even on us, and we have to stay away from such people. I want to tell you a story that happened to the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was once approached by a Balabas um, from a neighboring town to Radin, where the Chavetz Chaim lived. And he comes and he looks terrible, this Balabas. He looks like he's at the end of the rope. He's at the end of his line. 
And the Chavetz Chaim says, is everything okay? What can I do for you? He says, I need a huge favor from the Chavetz Chaim. He says, what's the problem? What do you need? I'll try my best. He says, my daughter is dating a guy and they are talking now that they might be getting engaged and that would be the worst thing in the world. I don't want my daughter marrying a guy. This is what I, I raised her to, to marry a guy and she's going to have children that are... Whatever, this, this is terrible. I need the Chavetz Chaim to have a talk with my daughter and to, and to try to dissuade her from this terrible notion that it's okay for her to marry a guy. So Chavetz Chaim says, listen, I, 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 you know, I could try. I'm, I'm willing to try. I can't guarantee anything. No, no guaranteed results, but if you think that, uh, that that would be helpful, of course I'll, I'll, I'll try. You know, and they made up a time. You know, tomorrow bring her over at uh, 10.30 in the morning and uh, I'll talk to her. So the guy was so happy, the father of the girl, and he says, thank you so much, and Chavetz Chaim should be gebenched, and he's about to walk out the door of the Chavetz Chaim's study, and the Chavetz Chaim calls him back. He says, come, come back here a second. He says, before I meet with your daughter, there's one question that I need to ask of you. He says, of course, sure, it does, uh, would you like a check for the yeshiva? He says, no, 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 it's not about money right now. He says, when you came home from shul every Shabbos morning, back in the olden days, they used to go to shul on Shabbos. It was, uh, back, you know, it's uh, a long time ago, but people actually went to shul on Shabbos. And Mitzvah um, we should be zeichet to do that again soon. But when you came home from shul on Shabbos morning, and you were eating your cholent by the meal, did you say, or is that did you say A or B? Did you say A or B? These are the two options that the Chavetz Chaim gave him. Option A was that, um, option A was, the, the rabbi spoke amazing, the rabbi has such a, an amazing ability to, to connect with, with his tzibor. He has such great hashkafas. He is such a balmachadish. He has such, uh, he, he, he just makes me inspired. We're so lucky to have him. His rebbitzin is awesome. You know, after davening, he gave me such a nice, warm Shabbos. Is that what you did? And then say over the whole drosha that the rabbi gave so that your wife and your children were able to be nana also, that's A. B is that you had the rabbi for lunch, meaning you basically ate him up and spat him out. You said, "Ugh, this rabbi, I don't know where we got him from. He has no idea how to talk. He talked for an hour. I thought it would never end, or at least it felt like an hour. Uh, you know, we have to have a board meeting about him. We have to have somebody has to tell him how to speak and how and what what to talk about, what not to talk about, and uh, oh, what a terrible thing it is to be a rabbi. Nebuch, it's not a nice job. No, it's not a job for a nice Jewish boy. That type of talk. Was it A or B? Which which one was it on the menu? Was it A or B? And this person says, "I have to admit to the Chavetz Chaim, it was B. I'm a B guy." I'm that type. That's my personality. You got me exactly. 
That's why I'm always, I'm always in shul, I'm talking during davening, I'm talking to the rabbi's drasha, after, by the kiddush, I'm slamming the rabbi for doing this and for doing that, and I'm deep, knee deep into the politics, and I'm ready to get rid of the rabbi at all times, and I'm at home, everyone is listening to me, you know, yap about the terrible situation in the shul, and the rabbi doesn't get this, he doesn't kiss the babies after davening, and he's not, uh, he's not warm enough, he's not smart, that's me, that's, I'm a big guy, he says, okay, I thought so, says the Chavetz Chaim, and I can't meet with your daughter tomorrow, I'm very sorry. He says, well, why not? What, what, what does that have to do with my daughter? He says, I can meet with her for a hundred years, she's not going to listen to me. She will not listen to me. And the Chavetz Chaim gave a very powerful mashal. He says, mashal daima. He says, once upon a time there was a, a person who had a, a very sick son, his son was home, and he was like had a terrible, terrible illness. He was on his deathbed, Nebuch. And so he sends somebody in the family to cross over the bridge to the neighboring town where there was a, a doctor, and the doctor made house calls, also something that uh, they used to do back in the day that they don't do anymore. And he said, go and, go and fetch the doctor and tell him that, you know, that our son is very sick, and that give him our address and say, you have to come at once and bring the medication. So this person in the household, maybe it was like a, a child, or maybe it was, uh, you know, the, the servant, ran over, across the bridge, and, and, and knocked on the doctor's door, told the doctor the situation, you have to come to this and this address, this child is about to die, you know, we know that you're a specialist in this field, and you have to come and help this person uh, get better. Doctor says, fine, you took down the address, I'll be there at 10 o'clock tonight, be ready, you know, to open the door for me, and, uh, and we'll hopefully take care of everything. Anyway, the doctor is crossing the bridge, it was very dark out, and all of a sudden, as he's going over the bridge to get to this house of the sick patient, there's a mugger that comes with a gun and says, stick him up says to the doctor. Doctor says, I don't have anything. Please leave me alone. I'm, I'm just going across the bridge. He says, give me the bag. Give me the bag. He says, no, no, please don't take... He says, he, he rifles through the bag. As he's rifling, he's throwing everything. He's looking for cash. Can't find any cash in the bag. He throws the whole bag into the river, into the raging river underneath the bridge. What was in the bag? In the bag was the medication. This was the, the medicine to deal the sick child. Anyway, he doesn't have any medicine. That was the last of all his his medication. But he figures he should go and tell uh, at least the, the the family that he you know who are waiting for him that he uh, that he's not going to be able to do it because he doesn't have the medication anymore. So finally, he gets a little bit lost until he finds the way to this uh, this patient's house. He comes, he knocks on the door, and he opens up the door. The door opens up, and he almost faints. The doctor. Because he sees that the father who opens the door for him and is, you know, rushing him in to, to treat his son is none other than the mugger who had just mugged him about a half an hour ago on the bridge. And the doctor and the father says, Come, come, my son is in this other room. Thank you so much for coming. He says, he says, Listen, buddy. He says, I can't heal your son. He says, Well, why not? He says, you know the guy that you stuck up on the bridge about half an hour ago? 
He says, yeah. What does that got to do with anything? Well, that was me. And you know the, all the stuff that you threw out o- o- over the bridge into the water? He says, yeah. Well, that was the medicine for your child. You had the medicine. I had the medicine for your child. It could have healed him. It would have healed him, probably. But you, Biodayim, you took that medication and you chucked it over. The, you, you ruined your Ma'abid Biodayim. You destroyed with your very own hands the valuable, the invaluable medication that would have healed your own child. And I can't help you anymore because you did it to yourself. The Chavetz Chaim said that's exactly what happens when we have a sinner towards Chachamim. You came home on Shabbos. If you would have praised the rabbi of your shul, if you would have talked about G'daylam, if you would have said, wow, we have the Chavetz Chaim living a block away, you know, a couple of blocks away in the neighboring town, and you would have like said Maifsim about me and about G'daylam and about, about Sadiqim, and it would, you would build up my prestige in the eyes of your daughter, then I could talk to her tomorrow morning and she would say, wow, the Chavetz Chaim is telling me Tyre Misinai here. He's, he's giving me the, the truth. He's giving me exactly what I need to know. He's the, he's the doctor that could heal me. And I could have healed her. But you, by every week eroding her covet for Chacham, her covet for Tyre, Ava for Tyre, her appreciation for Abanim and for all they stand for, every week you were eroding it. You were basically taking medication that the Rabbanim have and you were throwing it out. And this is something that is very, very important for us and our families and our communities to very, very much remember, if we want to have the beauty of Taira and the, and the, the great power of, of, of Chachmea Taira, whether it's Reb Chaim Kanievsky, whether it's Reb Shmuel Kamenetsky, whether it's the local shul rabbi, every single one of them deserves our respect and our honor. And when we do that, we build up the prestige of Taira not only in the eyes of in the eyes of our, of our own eyes, but also the, our children, our family, our community. And when we don't, Rahman al-Tzan, we're taking medication, besides for Itzdam being a terrible thing to do, but we're taking medication that's so valuable for the future, and we're literally being ma'abed biadaim. This is a, a very, very important um, yisaid that... I think it's very important uh, to constantly reiterate, and I think we, we do bring it up a lot, but especially in the times that we're living in, I, I just want to address one thing, and I, this is not a, a kanas in any which way. I'm not trying to be that guy that's always, you know, you know, going negative on everything. But, you know, the Rabbanim in many communities, many communities around the world, are, are meeting and, and consulting with doctors and Paiskim and G'dayli Yisrael to know exactly how to go back to reopen as the, as the Lushen is, you know, the, the, the world as we knew it before this coronavirus, before around Purim time, when everything, you know, started shutting down, the shuls and the yeshivas and, and everything. And now we're trying to reopen. We're trying to reopen. It's Israel, they're doing it in a very, you know, wise way in phases, and it seems to be working very well. And we're we're working on that in America also, and and hopefully within you know weeks, you know maybe Mitzvah Hashem will be able to go back to our shuls, 
and we'll be able to maybe go back to our Batei Medrash, and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing, that's a very exciting thing. But, until then, there, we get very strict um, orders and instructions from those Rabbanim, from those Gedalim, about what we're not allowed to do. Certain communities, the Rabbanim were matir to make porch minyanim or to make backyard minyanim, and then that's great, that's wonderful. If they feel, for whatever reason, that it's that it's doable and that it's it doesn't pose a health risk to anybody, then that's fine. But if you're in a city, and the Rabbanim in your city are saying, don't do it, and yet you go around and you're smarter because you have you could do it, your porches are more distant or whatever, and it could work out. That might be, but we're, we can't go against G'day Israel Because, first of all, it's, it's wrong in and of itself. But what message does it send to our children? You think they're, they're impressed by the fact that you're davening B'tzibur when the Rabbanim say not to? It's a shtick to daven B'tzibur when you're not supposed to? I know one of the big Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael, one of the big Dalim in Eretz Yisrael said that if you daven with a minion in a place that the Rabbanim say you're not allowed to, every bracha that you're making is a bracha levatalo. It's like a, it's a mitzvah baba veira. It's not even a mitzvah. And you have to be very, very careful because, first of all, you should never go against what the Chachmei Yisrael say because, like the Gemara says, you have to be very nizar, minishichasen shal nachar, tizar migachalasen. You should, you should be very scared of their coals. They're fiery. You don't go against Reb Chaim Kanievsky. You don't go against your local Rabbanim. But besides for that, that's always true. But there's another message that I think we get from what we spoke about this morning, and that's that it sends such a terrible message to our children and to our community and to our family that I couldn't care less about what the Chacham say. I have my own agenda. I have my own Shulchan Aruch. I do what I want when I want. And I don't have to obey any Chacham. I'm, I'm just as smart as they am, as they are. And this is, a, I think it's a very good illustration of how slippery a slope it is when you don't learn, and it leads to not doing, and then eventually it leads to not obeying the Chachm Yisrael. For whatever reason people have, and uh, this, this is a fruma. This is a from a reason to not obey, right? You think that you're, that it's fine if I could, they have svaras, and I could make up my own svaras, and I understand it. I also want to daven with a minion. But if the Chachmi Yisrael, the Rabbanim locally and nationally and internationally are saying not to do it yet, then we, ha- we can't do it yet. Again, if you're living in a city that the, the, the Rabbanim allowed it, then we're not talking about that, obviously. But if you're in any other city that's not, it's not your time yet to daven either privately or, or definitely, meaning on, in porch minyanum or backyard minyanum or, and definitely not in shuls, then by doing so, you're basically um, falling prey to what the Chavetz Chaim would say, sticking up the doctor who has the medicine for you. You have to be very careful because it sends such a bad signal that we don't have to respect our Rabbanim, we don't have to listen to them, we have our own derech, and thank you very much, we're doing fine. And that's something that we have to work on ourselves and our, our family, and we have to be very gentle. We, we can't criticize other people. It's not what I'm saying here, but we ourselves have to make sure to be very vigilant with our own hanhagas, that we're always having the utmost respect for G'daylem, and we're following them, and, we are, and we're not 
thinking that we are outsmart, we're able to do things better or more, uh, you know, uh, that's not, that's not what, that's not what we are supposed to be doing. And if we do it, then we could be maybe considered in the camp of Amaratsim. Again, these are not people that are not learning. A lot of these people are very learned. But the amount of Torah that you know is irrelevant if you're not obeying what the Chachm Yisrael said. Because what is learning if not an obeyance of Chachm Yisrael? Isn't that what Gemara is all about? That we're, we're studying the words of G'dayli Yisrael to understand what they said? If we're, if we're undermining the, the veracity and the importance and the prestige of G'dayli Yisrael, then all our learning is worthless. What is it anyway? And so that's the message that I wanted to share with you today, and I wanted to wish all of you to have a wonderful Shabbos, a beautiful Shabbos, try to relax and, uh, and recuperate, hopefully, from you know, the, the difficult times that we're in. Shabbos gives us a little bit of an oasis for that, and uh, we are really, really excited to uh, get to be together Mitzvah Shem Whenever that day arrives, we are waited, waiting for that with bated breath. Have a very good Shabbos.